Well, Santiago was a poor Cuban fisherman who hadn't caught a fish in 84 days. And as a fisherman by trade, this was his livelihood. But day after day after day, Santiago gets in his small little boat and heads out to the sea. And on the 85th day, he hooks the biggest marlin he's ever hooked in his life. The problem was this marlin was so big that he couldn't get it into his boat. It was too strong. It weighed too much. And so as any wise fisherman would do, Santiago let it stay on his line as best as he could. And he let it swim around until it got tired. But the problem was is that it got tired after three days of being on his line. And for three days in a row, it pulled him further and further and further out to sea. And as the marlin got more tired day after day, so did Santiago, getting more and more exhausted as he was baking and starving in the hot Cuban sun. And so as any wise fisherman do, he keeps going, he keeps going, and he keeps going. And day after day, his hands are ripping from holding on to the fishing line. He's getting exhausted. He's dehydrated. But finally, on the third day, the marlin gives up. And Santiago is able to pull him up to his boat, not get him in the boat because the marlin is too big, but he's able to tie him off to the side of his boat. And as he heads back to shore to get back to his home so he can bring this fish home and sell it to make a living, Sharks come one by one, and he's able to fight them off. He uses his oar, and he gets every shark to go away, or he's able to kill multiple sharks. But in the process, in the process, each shark takes a big chunk out of the marlin. And so as he gets closer and closer and closer to shore, the marlin is becoming lighter and lighter, and he's going to get less and less money. So many sharks come to the point where what's only left by the time he gets back to shore is just a skeleton of what used to be a record-breaking marlin. Now Santiago gets back and he doesn't go town or house to house and brag about this big fish that he caught. Instead, he gets back, he, he hooks up his boat to the dock. He's got a big skeleton hanging out the side of his boat. He walks into his little shack and he falls asleep. The next day, he comes out to almost the entire town, walking up to his boat, marveling at how big this fish could have been. Now, this is one of my favorite stories, and it's from The Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway. If you've read the book, it's phenomenal. If you've never read it, it's, uh, I would highly recommend it. It is a gut punch, but the message of the book is this. A man can be destroyed, but never defeated. You can go through a lot in life. You can be waiting 85 days to catch your next fish. And when you finally catch that next fish, it might be so big that you're not even able to get into your, into your boat. But the point of the story is, as life goes on, we often, so, we, we so often wait for these big moments in life, these big goals that we have, these big things that we're reaching for, and yet where our joy comes isn't from achieving those things, it's the journey along achieving those things. So often we focus on the goal, but what God wants us to see is that there is joy in the journey of following him. And I think we think about this in a lot of different ways in our lives. You know, as a a husband, we've been married, my wife and I, for it'll be eight years in August. One of my goals in life is that I want to be one of those married couples who's married for 50 years. I think that that's an amazing goal to try to hit. And I hope that we get there. I think we will. As long as we survive long enough. But honestly, there are days where, I'm going to say this quietly, I think my wife is in the lobby. 
Seven and a half years has felt like 50. But <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for that one. But here's my point. I don't want to get to 50 years just because it's 50 years, and that's, that's a great badge to wear. That is great. But where does joy come from when we hit those 50 years? It's looking back on our life and saying, we made it. We persevered. We were able to get through this and this and this. We were able to get through and overcome all of these hardships, and now we're at 50 years. There is joy in that. Talk to anybody who's very wealthy. Do they find joy in finally hitting that million-dollar mark or that billion-dollar mark? No, what they'll tell you is all of the days where they had to scrap and they had to scrounge and able to get to that mark. There's joy in the journey. And I think oftentimes we think of our faith in the same way. You know, when I think about heaven, and I would never downplay heaven because the Bible thinks it's a pretty big deal, and so do I, and I'm ready to go there sometimes. I would never downplay heaven But what we often have to understand about our faith right now is that while we live on this earth, our goal isn't just to get to heaven, but in fact, we can experience God's joy and God's presence and experience his presence right here on this earth. In fact, that's what being a Christian is all about. And so I want to encourage us this morning, if you walked into our building this morning and maybe you're holding on to a sin struggle or you're holding on to something in life that's just been weighing you down and it's distracting your mind and you came to it to find a little bit of encouragement or a little bit of freedom, I want to encourage you, keep going. Just like Santiago hooked that fish and he kept going, even though the sharks tore it to pieces as he got home, he kept going. The point is that there's joy in the process of life. And by the end of our lives, we're going to have to be able to ask ourselves, what kind of person was I? Was I somebody who, when I struggled with sin, I just gave up and I turned to self-hatred? Or was I somebody who, who experienced God's grace, understood God's grace, and that's what empowered me to get up every single day and keep following Jesus? We're going to go to Philippians chapter 3 today, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're going to be in verses 10 through 16, but I want you to hear this before we start. An easy life isn't the answer to finding joy, but rather God's presence in the midst of your difficult time and your sin struggle is where our joy comes from. And that's what we're going to find here in Philippians chapter 3. So if you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen for you. Um, If you do, feel free to open it up and follow along. But here's what the Apostle Paul says, and I want to remind you of the context. Paul, as he's writing these words that we're about to read, he is in prison for preaching the gospel. And so as we're reading these words, keep that in your mind of how in the world can somebody like Paul find joy as he's sitting in prison? We're going to find out. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, But I press on to to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed in me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress that we have already made. 
I'm going to ask you a question right away. What is the point of being a Christian? What's the point of following Jesus? For those of you who have been doing it for a long time, or maybe you're brand new to the faith, what is the point of following Jesus? Is it to become a good and moral person? Is it to become a virtuous person? Is it to become a person who has good principles and good values to stand on so that when storms come in life, you're not shaken, you're not going to the left or to the right, but you are standing firm on a solid ground? Now, I'm, I don't want to downplay these points because I think that these are good and they're necessary and they're biblical, but I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul says. The point of following Jesus is to experience God's presence in your daily life. Here's what Paul says. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. You know, I think oftentimes we get so distracted by, by other things in our faith. And I think one of those big things that we do get distracted by is religion. Now, there's a big conversation today that's been happening well over the past like 10 or 15 years or so about whether Christianity is, is it a relationship or is it a religion? Now, I like to say that our religion is like a relationship because I want to be honest. As much as we say our, our religion is a relationship, we still do very religious things. I mean, you came to church today to worship Jesus. You take communion once a month with us. We pray daily. Like Those are very religious things. I don't want to be scared of religion, but here's what I want to challenge and encourage us in. That when religion just becomes about the practices or the traditions and they're void of Jesus, that's when religion becomes meaningless. See, everything that we do, every single time we take communion, every single time we gather to worship, when we give our money to the church, we are doing religious things, but we're doing them because we're empowered by Jesus to do them. And Jesus is the focus of them. See, if we just go along and we recite prayers for the rest of our life, if we just go along and we take communion without even thinking about what is the meaning of communion, if we just go along and do all these religious practices and religious traditions without thinking about Jesus and having that relationship with him, that's when religion becomes meaningless. But when we do these religious things in, with Jesus in mind and as the focus, that's when our relationship with him becomes the central main point. And that's when we experience God and his presence. So I think sometimes when we hear the word religion, we want nothing to do with it. Religion can be good and it can be bad, but Jesus has to be the center of it. And that's what makes it good. And this all follows with Philippians 3, because here's what Paul says. This is where Paul came from. And I would imagine that maybe some of us have a similar background, not totally the same, but here's where Paul came from. He said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Now, let's stop here. Show of hands who, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> not going to go that far. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old, which that seems random. Why is that in there? Paul is a Jewish man. Circumcision is part of their religion. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So Paul has this background in hyper-religion, very devoted to religion. And I think many of us, we may have grown up in a similar circumstance. I mean, you're probably not 
Jewish in the sense that you follow all the Old Testament laws, but I grew up in a non-denominational church that was basically a, a fundamental Baptist church. I went through all the motions, had to sit through Sunday school, had to sit through Wednesday night Bible, Bible study all throughout my childhood. Maybe you grew up in catechism. Maybe you grew up in confirmation. We, many of us, we have these religious backgrounds, but let's be honest, as kids, sometimes it doesn't really click. <laughs> and the reason that we're there is because our parents have us there. Or maybe for you, your background is this hardcore religion and you are very into following all the rules and following all the laws. But here's the point. Paul says that this is who I used to be. But what I have learned is that if Christ isn't in it, if Jesus isn't the focal point, then it's all void. It's all for nothing. In fact, here's what Paul says. He says, I once thought these things were valuable But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In other words, what Paul is saying is that as he was this big religious leader, and what came with that was money and wealth and status and large amounts of respect among his Jewish community, now that he knows Jesus... He considers all of that worthless. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that my growing up in Sunday school was worthless or that you growing up in catechism or confirmation was worthless. All of those things can be good things. But if we're just going through the motions of religion and rules without having Jesus as the center, that's when they can be worthless. Because where does our faith come from? Where does our strength come from? Where does our perseverance come from? The kind of perseverance that makes us get up in the morning every single day and praise God that even though we're not perfect, he still loves us and he wakes us up in the morning and we have new mercy and new grace. Where does this come from? It all comes from Jesus. And Paul's saying, this is the entire point of what we're doing. We are not here just to go through the motions. We're not here just to wallow in our sins. We're not here just to give our money or just to go through the traditions, go through the practices. We are here to experience the presence of God in our daily life. And it's when we experience this daily presence of God that we have the motivation and that we have the strength and the ability to get up and face another day. And so if you came here today and you've got things that you're carrying with you, you've got baggage, you've got sins, you've got frustrations, what I want you to hear this morning is that because of Jesus, you have new mercy and new grace every day. One of my biggest struggles that I have in my daily walk with Jesus is I think that I am naturally a cynical person. And as a naturally cynical person, um, I really get frustrated with myself. When I struggle with anger towards my kids or I'm short-tempered with my wife or I'm just in general feeling on edge because I feel stressed and I feel busy, I go to sleep at night frustrated with myself and angry with myself that I still struggle you know, I've been a Christian for about 11 or 12 years, and that's not even a very long time, but it feels like a long time, and it feels like I should be further along in my faith than what I actually am. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but I get so frustrated with myself. And even Paul, he addresses this. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, 
But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed in me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And so even the Apostle Paul, I I relate to this so much because even the Apostle Paul who, who planted churches all over the Middle East, and who planted churches all over Eastern Europe. He wrote about half of the New Testament. This guy's a great man of God who is used by God in so many ways, and yet Paul is saying, I haven't achieved these things either. You know, I'll be honest with you, as, a, as one of your pastors and somebody who preaches every single Sunday, I have to get up, and I have to preach God's word, and I have to preach it in a way that says, this is the standard, <laughs> This is what a Christian should look like. This is how a Christian should live. And I'm not, I'll be honest, my faith is strong. But when I preach, I am preaching a very high view of who we should all be. I am preaching somebody who's better than myself, if that makes sense. I am trying to call us to live a life where we are fully and completely devoted to God, that we're confessing our sins all the time. I struggle in these areas too. When Paul says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. I haven't either. And that's where a lot of my my cynicism and my frustration with myself comes from. It's because I wish I was so much further along in my faith. I wish I wasn't struggling with with the things that I feel like I've been struggling with for too long. I want these sins to go. And for me, what I often do is it turns to self-hatred or it turns to depression, or it turns to anxiety, and I get so frustrated with myself. But I want to ask us this morning, where are you at when it comes to your sin and when it comes to God's grace? Because I think sometimes we have to understand that the Christian life is about this balance. This balance between I'm lamenting and I'm mourning over my sin and I recognize that I am a sinner. But the other side of that, what balances that out is God is a good and gracious and loving God. I want you to hear that this morning. If you're struggling with a sin that you're frustrated with yourself about, if you relate to to what I'm explaining to you this morning that maybe you're naturally cynical or maybe you're frustrated with yourself over sin, I want you to hear this morning God loves you And he wants a relationship with you. And if you already have that relationship, be reminded and encouraged this morning that God loves you. And his grace is what empowers you to get up another day. His grace is what empowers you to walk away from your sin and to do your best to follow Jesus. It's not by our own strength. This is why Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not by our own strength that we can follow Jesus better. It's by our ability to get up in the morning and put our face before Jesus and pray for dependence on him and grace that renews us every day. And when we are willing to receive that grace, when we're willing to receive that mercy, That's what propels us into joy. That's when we look at our lives and say, I have messed up all throughout my life. I've gone through so many trials, so many sufferings, so many sins. And yet what helps me persevere, what helps me find joy in life is the fact that right here, right now, I can experience God's presence, his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. 
And that's what propels me. That's what motivates me. That's what Paul says. That's why he says, I press on. Paul says, I haven't achieved these things. I'm not this person. Yeah, I've written over half the New Testament, but I am so imperfect. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I have a thorn in my flesh. And what he's talking about is he has this sin struggle that he's been trying to get rid of. And he doesn't say what it is, but he says, there's a thorn in my flesh and I've been trying and by God's grace, maybe one day it'll be gone, but right now I am still struggling. But I press on. And one of the keys that Paul is telling us here is that we forget the past and we look forward to the future. Now in Paul's situation. His past included this hyper-religion, so much religion, so much zealousness for religion that he was actually persecuting the church and killing Christians. So I think that we're one step ahead of Paul, I would assume. We're not killing each other, I hope. But what Paul is saying here is that my past is so rough. There is so much sin in my past that what I have to do in order to press on and keep following Jesus is at some point I have to accept God's grace and I have to move forward. At some point, God's grace has to be my motivating factor where I am not being weighed down by the sins of my past, but I'm accepting God's love and grace and I am moving forward. Now, oftentimes when I read Philippians chapter 3, and I hear Paul talking about pressing on and moving forward and forgetting the past, it makes me think of those self-help gurus, or even, honestly, uh, Timon and Pumbaa from Lion King, when he says, you got to put your behind in your past, or it's supposed to be your past and your behind you. And I hear that sometimes, I think, I don't want Jesus to sound like a self-help guru. Because what self-help is all about is It's helping yourself and being your own savior and you just got to move forward and trudge ahead and it's all about you. But what's interesting is I think what the self-help world is doing is borrowing a, a page from the Bible and from the gospel. And what I want you to hear this morning is that yes, there is a balance between lamenting over your sins but also moving forward in God's grace. The key is though, How do we do this? Because it sounds like one of those really motivating things where it's like, yes, I want that, but how? Well, here's what Paul says. He says, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. What is this one thing? In order to forget the past and look forward and to move forward in God's grace, what is this one thing? I'm going to end this sermon right now so that you guys can't hear it and you're on the edge of your seats. I'm kidding. We see this all throughout Scripture. In fact, here's three examples. In Mark chapter 10, a rich man comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, I have followed every commandment. I have done all these things perfectly, but I still haven't found salvation. And Jesus responds by saying, Because you lack one thing. In Luke chapter 10, Martha is upset with Mary because Mary is sitting with Jesus and Martha is getting the house ready. She's cooking, she's cleaning, she's prepping for all the disciples. And Mary, who's supposed to be there helping her, is just sitting with Jesus, probably listening to a Bible study. And Martha is getting frustrated and Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you lack one thing. In Psalm 27, King David is so remorseful over his sin that he cries out to God that he only wants one thing. 
What is this one thing that all of these godly people throughout all of Scripture have found that we need in order to keep us going and persevering through the hardships of life? That one thing is a total focus and a total dependence on the grace of God. It is so important that we're obedient to God. Like, this is where religion comes into play again. It is a good thing to be obedient to our Father. We want to be obedient to Scripture because He's given us His Word. He's given us sort of a manual of here's how we live. Here's how we follow God in the midst of an ever-sinful world. And yet, like I said earlier, if we just make it about following the rules like the Apostle Paul did in his past, we're always going to find ourselves looking for that one thing. But that one thing that keeps us going, that one thing that gets us up in the morning is the grace and the forgiveness and the presence of God in the midst of our lives, and yet we're sinners. One of the keys to growing in your faith is recognizing that you don't deserve the grace that God gives you. That's why God calls it grace. We don't deserve it because we're sinful, but because of God's great love for us, he gives us the right and the opportunity to become his children who can receive his grace. Church, that's a freeing thing. That is what gives us freedom. Knowing that we can't make ourselves better. We can't do anything to save ourselves But all of our salvation, all of our joy, even in the midst of this long journey of life, it all sources from Jesus. And so here's my encouragement for you this morning. The one thing that you need to focus on in your life is a total dependence and trust on the grace of Jesus. If you want to move on from your past and look forward to the future, if you're ready to take the weight and the burden of sin off your shoulders, you have to look to Jesus and his grace. Not to religion, not to self-help, not to just trying harder and not making those mistakes again. You have to trust and depend on the grace of God. I love the way that Pastor John Piper puts it. He said, grace is not simply leniency, When we have sinned, grace is the enabling gift of God not to sin. Grace is power, not just pardon. When Jesus tells the woman who had been caught in adultery in the book of John, when he tells her, go and sin no more, what he's telling her is not just try harder. Just do your best not to sin anymore. The reason why she can go and sin no more is because Jesus looked at her and said, I do not condemn you. And it's in that moment that she received a grace that she had never received before. And that is what propelled her to live a life not ensnared by her sin, not entangled in sin constantly, constantly. And yes, she's not perfect. She's going to sin again. We all do, but it doesn't weigh us down and we don't walk in guilt and condemnation anymore because Jesus is the one who has freed us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one says this, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race 
that is set before us. I want to leave you with this as we close this morning. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in religion. Our hope is in the life and the work of Jesus. That's what gives us the determination and the perseverance to get up and enjoy life. You're going to face sin struggles. You're going to face hardships. That's what life is all about. And our goal is not just to get to heaven. Our goal is to experience God's grace in the here and now. You know, as we look at the story of Santiago, and as he was fighting with the Marlin for three days, Ernest Hemingway is trying to communicate that life is hard, but there is joy in the journey when you find strength within yourself to overcome your trials and your battles. And what kind of man are you going to be? What kind of woman are you going to be by the end of your life? Are you going to be someone who gives up, or are you going to be someone who moves forward? Now, in the Christian world, we have the same message, but the strength doesn't come from us. It comes from Jesus. So let us be reminded as we close in worship this morning, and as we go from our church this morning to live our normal, regular lives, I want you to focus on one thing, church, and that is the grace and the love of Jesus. That's what motivates us to get up another day. That's what motivates us to keep going. That's what motivates us to press on and to go on in this life and this journey that God has called us to live. So with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness over our lives. Lord, we thank you for the grace that we have received because of your son, Jesus. God, you do not call us to religion. You do not call us just to do good things and hope that we can become a better person. God, you call us to receive your empowering grace that changes us so that we can get up another day and recognize, Lord, that you are still good. You still forgive us. You still give us grace. And Lord, we do not stand condemned before you. So Jesus, because of all of this, we love you. God, help us to focus on that one thing. Help us to focus on your grace and your love that helps us to press on. God, help us to live holy lives that are pleasing to you. God, we want to be people who do good things and who do good works. God, we need the strength and the motivation from you. So Father, as we close in worship this morning, Let us be reminded of your love. Let us be reminded of your grace. And help us to walk out of this building, Lord, as free people, recognizing that because of your life, death, and resurrection, Jesus, we are free from our sins. We love you and we praise you. Amen.